this particular passage of Scripture, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1 to 4. Again, we see behind the scenes what takes place. So, you know, when we look at the news and we see things going on in the world, we see what's transpiring in this world. But before anything takes place in this world, it is always influenced by the world alongside it, which is the spirit realm. The spirit realm governs this realm. This realm thinks they govern themselves, but they don't. They're all subjected to the rulership of the spirit realm. Scripture says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Job and to the leaders of the people, Go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the King, are they not more, uh, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Job, Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And so here we see David sinning against God because he, he tells Job and his elders, I want a census taken. Now, there was a scriptural way that that could be done. In the law of Moses, Moses had prescribed how it should be done. There should have been then a tax of half a shekel, I think it was, uh, given over to the temple, and that would have been fine. Then there would have been no judgment. David doesn't go that route. He just wants the number. There's no tax involved. And so the elders say to, to David, this is a bad idea. If we go ahead and do this, we're going to get into trouble with God because you know we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. David's will prevails. The scripture says the king's word prevailed against Joab and obviously his elders. Now, ultimately, who's influencing David to make that decision? Satan, because the scripture says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So Satan influences David to do something that is contrary to God's law and thus will bring a curse upon Israel. So we see in behind the scenes who's doing the influencing. But we can go even further back behind the scenes of the same account to show us just how God is the one who's actually manipulating things according to the counsel of His will. Manipulation, not the right word, but it kind of gives us the point. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says, Again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and He moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So if we read Samuel's account, it looks like God moved David to do this. But if we read 2 Chronicles' account, we see that it was in fact Satan who moved David to do this. So how do we get this thing worked out? Well, it starts out, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Israel had done something to get God angry. God now wanted to judge Israel. So God now decides, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move David to number Israel so that I can then uh, judge Israel. Because if you go read the account, there was a judgment. David was given three choices. He said you could either have um, pestilence or a, a, a plague breakout for uh, three days, or you can have war with your, your enemies and they'll put you on the run for three months, or you can have three years of famine. David goes the short-term route and he chooses the three days as the punishment. And so God wanted to judge Israel. So what God does is he brings Satan into his uh, court again. He says, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go move my servant David to number Israel. 
Satan's only too pleased to oblige. He goes and he influences David to number Israel. David does that. Everybody says it's a bad idea. David still says, no, we're going to go ahead and do this. And as a result, God is now able to judge Israel. And so we see just how it all works. It starts with God. God is the one who wants things done. And so he uses Satan as an agent, and Satan uses men as an agent, because Satan, in this case, used David. David then uh, told the guys what he wanted done. David thought he was acting according to his own free will. In fact, David changed was pretty much um, an innocent body kind of in this whole thing, because when God starts to judge, David said, wait a minute, why are you judging the people? I'm the God who sinned. You should be judging me. But that's not how God saw things. God wanted to judge Israel, and so this is how he brought it about. But again, it just gives us a bit of an insight to behind the scenes as to the fact that God is actually fully in control in this life. He has complete control, but he never overrides the free will of man. David made his own choice. Um, influenced, definitely, but he still made his own choice. And so that's how God influences. Now Satan also, that's how Satan influences the world. Satan also tries to influence believers. He'll try, his, his, you know, luck is not the right word, but he will try and influence believers because he knows if he can get his way with believers, he can do some damage to the body of Christ. The scripture says in Colossians 1.13, I kind of mentioned it already, he has delivered us, talking about God our Father, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, talking about our, obviously our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all believers are no longer under the sway of the wicked one, for we have been taken out of his kingdom and we have been placed into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. So Satan has no sway over us. He has no authority over us. He actually cannot influence us unless we let him. And so that's the key. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And so the Christian is able to give place to the devil in their lives, how? By committing sin. So what Satan does to believers is he tempts them to commit sin because he knows if he can get them to sin, he then has place in their lives. If they stay away from sin, they have, he has no resource. He cannot gain access to their lives. Our Lord said when he was on the earth, he said, the real of this world is coming and he has no place in me. Why? Jesus never committed any sin. And so Christians should stay away from sin because as we do, so Satan cannot influence our decisions. He can only influence our decisions once we commit sin. So he can place the temptation before the believer to commit sin. The believer has the choice then of their own free will. I'm going to commit sin. Remember, we can walk in flesh. If we walk in the flesh, we'll commit sin. If we walk in the spirit, we'll stay away from sin. Simple as that. And so if the believer yields to the fleshy desire, James says, when um, the, the, our desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so this, the desire he's talking about is the, the desire of the flesh. And so that's what Satan does. He places the temptation before the saint to try and get them to commit sin. And because he knows, if you can get them there, well now I've got him. He's in sin, he's now in my domain, I can now influence his will. Now when um, the believer lands up there, this is what happens. 2 Timothy Verse 2, 24 to 26. Scripture says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, 
in humility correcting those in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so this is a, a picture of um, ministers of the gospel. If you read the context of, the, of this passage of scripture, it is talking about two ministers of the gospel who have begun to pr pr proclaim false doctrine. Now, as a result, they had stepped off into sin. And the Apostle Paul tells us that they have been taken, uh, they've been ensnared by the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So what is the, the will of Satan in this instance? It is that these guys would continue to proclaim this false doctrine to the church because Satan's only too keen to have false doctrine taught to the church. Now, these two individuals have become ensnared by Satan and been taken captive by him to do his will. How? Because they had stepped off into sin. And so they had given the uh, place to the devil in their lives. And so that's how Satan influences the lives of believers. He can only do that if they give in to sin. When they do, now they're given him legal right to influence their world. And they then become subjected to his will and he manipulates them in which the area that he wants them to go down in. And so that gives us some ideas to how Satan tries to get access to the will of the believer. He can only do that if the believer gives in to sin. Once the believer gives in to sin, well now the believer is not subject to his will, but has been taken captive by him. And Satan has a greater uh, liberty to influence the will of that believer. That's why these people, the scripture says, um, it's God who has to grant them repentance so they can get out of this thing and get back into fellowship with God. So they need to repent of what they of the sin that they've been committing. And then lastly, what we're going to look at today in today's teaching is the fact that as God influences our will, so man is also able to influence the will of God. That's something that we can do. Um, and we'll look at some scripture along that line. Scripture in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come now, this is God speaking, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so it's not a case of we don't, you know, God's just influencing our will all the time and we have no input. We certainly do have input as well. That's why God says, Come, let's reason together. I'll tell you my point of view. You can tell me your point of view. I'm willing to listen. And if it's a reasonable point of view, well, then yeah, we can talk about the thing. So let's look at it again. It always helps to look at examples around these things because it just illustrates the point to us more clearly. So we go and we have a look at uh, Hezekiah. It's a, it's a famous example, but it's a very valid point around this issue. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1 to 5. The scripture says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will add to your days fifteen years. 
So it's a very clear example of what transpired here. Um, Hezekiah is sick, and God says to Isaiah, go tell him he's going to die. Tell him to get his house in order because you know, it's my will that he die at this time. Hezekiah was not very keen on dying at that time. I don't know why, but he, you know, he says yeah, to God, yeah, I've served you. I, I've done the best that I know how to do. And I actually don't want to die now. And he's quite, you know, he, he, the Bible says he wept bitterly. He just didn't want to die right there. And so when God said, God listens to that. God says to us, okay, go, go back and tell him. I've heard him. He can have another 15 years. So there's the reasoning that had taken place. God had made his will known to Hezekiah. Hezekiah didn't quite agree with God's will. And so Hezekiah, you know, kind of asked, God, can we do something about this? God says, okay, I'll give you another 15 years. And it was exactly 15 years later that Hezekiah died. So there's this reasoning together that takes place. God is not averse to changing his mind on certain issues, obviously not on everything, but that's exactly what transpired here. God had made his will known, Hezekiah made his will known, God changed his will to line up with Hezekiah's. To the point, obviously, he only gave him 15 years, he didn't say, I'll let you live for eternity. No, just gave him another 15 years. But the point is, is that God changed his mind. Acts 27, to, uh, 21 to 24 is another account of where God changed his mind based on man's intervention, reasoning together with the Lord. The scripture says, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Go read the context of what transpired in this account. Um, Paul advised the guys not to go sailing at that time. He said, guys, if you go out, I perceive in my spirit that the, the, you guys are going to lose your ship and you're going to lose your lives. They are the experts, they know what they're doing, they disregard Paul's counsel, which was obviously the counsel of the Lord, and they go out and they go sailing. And what happens? They hit the storm. And it's at that point that they then give up all hope, they're going to lose the ship and they're going to lose their lives. Paul has been interceding to God on their behalf ever since. They decided to rebel against God. Because God had made it very clear to Paul, guys, Paul, if you go out, they're going to lose their ship and they're going to lose their lives. So Paul knows the will of God. God's made his will known. He tries to warn the guys, don't go. They don't listen, they go. Paul then intercedes to God on their behalf. And Paul gets half of it right because what the scripture says is that the angel says, God has indeed granted you those who sail with you. So Paul had been saying, Lord, can you not spare their lives? I, you know, I, I know that they're being rebellious against your counsel, but nevertheless, you know, please spare their lives. God relents on their lives. He says to Paul, okay, I'm giving you their lives. They didn't lose their lives, but God says, but they're going to lose their ship. There has to be some kind of penalty here, because I gave them counsel not to go. They rebelled. They've gone. There's going to be a loss. And the loss was the ship. And you go read the account, they did lose their ship with all the cargo. But they kept their lives. Now, why was that? Because Paul interceded on their behalf. 
and God changed his mind. He said, okay, I'll give you the arms. And so that's what transpired. So we can see that God is not averse to changing his will to agree with what we want. It was Paul. No, they weren't asking God to... Uh, I suppose they were. Uh, they were kind of crying out to God as well. But it was really uh, Paul that God listened to, not them, because they had rebelled against God right from the start. So God wasn't really going to listen to them. But he did listen to his apostle. And so that's something we can pick up from that account. But if God says, come let us reason together. So not always when we want to influence the will of God is God going to change his mind. He's not averse to doing that, but there's going to be times where he's going to say, so, no, I'm not going to change my mind, we're just going to go with my thing on this. Let's read the account in Deuteronomy 3, 23 to 26. says, then I pleaded, this is Moses talking about his encounter with the Lord around this type of an issue. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that, speak no more to me on this matter. And so the account here is uh, Moses, uh, a long time before the time, had disobeyed God because God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. And as a result, God said, okay, because you were disobedient to me in front of the elders of Israel, now you don't get to go into the promised land. I'll let you look at it from a, uh, from a mountaintop, but I'm not letting you in. So quite a while later, Moses is in God's good books, and he approaches the subject. He says, God, you know, we get it. we're about to go into the promised land. You let me see it. Can't I go in? And God says to Moses, no, I'm not changing my mind on the issue. Don't talk to me about this again. You're not going in there. Now, Moses did get in there a, a, a couple of thousand years later, or about a thousand years later, more more. Um, when he was stood with uh, um, Elijah and our Lord on that mountaintop in the middle of the promised land. But at that time God says, no, you're not going there. And so that was kind of Moses trying to twist the arm of the Lord. You know, can't you change your mind? Because God had said then, you're not going there. And so he says, you know, we're that close, can't I go? And God says, no, and I don't want you to bring this matter up again. And so in this instance here, God says, no, we're going with my decision on this one, Moses, so let's drop the subject. And so the point is, is that we can, from time to time, depending on the situation, um, change the mind of God. God is not uh, averse to changing his will to line up with our will up to a point. And we need to realize that because it, it's a relationship that we have with God. And Moses had that relationship, Paul had that relationship, Hezekiah kind of had that relationship as well. And we certainly, as sons and daughters of God, have that relationship. And we should exercise um, that ability to converse with God and talk to Him about things and see what He has to say. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. And that's as far as we want to go on the subject of the, the, the will of man. And we're going to close the teaching of that.